a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources, Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and we do have a little bit of breaking news. Uh, AP's reporting that Senator Amy Klobuchar is going to suspend her campaign. Uh, also, that she will endorse Senator Joe, Senate, former Senator, former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, so that will be an interesting uh, dynamic to the race. We'll continue to follow that here on KSL News Radio. Uh, but I am thrilled to have in studio today uh, our favorite uh, syndicated Washington Post uh, columnist. Uh, Megan McArdle. Megan, welcome back to Utah. Uh, I am thrilled to be here. I'm always happy to be in Salt Lake City. So you've you've been chasing around. You just uh, came right from South Carolina. I did. Uh, I flew in last night. <laughs> so welcome back to the uh, the great state of Utah where uh, civil society still has a chance. Uh, <laughs> tell us what you've been seeing out there on the campaign trail. Does this surprise you that Amy Klobuchar uh, bows out before Super Tuesday? Uh, it doesn't really. I mean, she did have the expectation of winning her home state of Minnesota, but, you know, she went to Minnesota. She had protesters stand up uh, at the rally. She had to cancel the rally because of the protesters right. were protesting and conviction that she got as a prosecutor years ago. Um, but she didn't really have a path outside of Minnesota. You know, there had been this hope after she did really well in New Hampshire compared to expectations right. that this was going to be a momentum campaign and something like Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, right. In, in 1992. And that just didn't play out that way. Um, in part, this this field is so crowded compared to the, the fields of yesteryear right. that it was extremely difficult to consolidate down um, to someone who was not already high in name recognition, which basically boiled down to Joe Biden and, and Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting that last night someone tweeted after Pete Buttigieg dropped out that uh, at 77, Joe Biden was the youngest man in the race. That was my colleague, Karen <laughs> Tumulty. Um, he's now the youngest person left right. in the race, which is and That's and, right. um, which is sort of extraordinary. You have three men in their late 70s who are, who are vying to be the contestant for the president in his 70s. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting time to yeah. be following politics. We, we, we were joking that uh, Mayor Pete could sit out in the wilderness for 40 years and come back yes. and be the same age. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then be eligible. I mean, just right. raise the eligibility age. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it, it, we've been also discussing today, I've been mulling this through in my head, that this, if we had to put a label on, this, on the Democratic campaign thus far, it really would be momentum missed. Kamala Harris had magical moments, never parlayed it. Even Mayor Pete had some great moments, didn't do it. Amy Klobuchar couldn't couldn't parlay it into anything. 
Uh, why is that? Is it just because there's too many? I think that's a big part of it. You know, you are contesting in a very limited space trying to get attention. But I think there's another piece of it which is that Twitter kind of drove the Democratic mm. field insane. Um, Jonathan Chait <laughs> wrote what I still think is the most insightful piece on the, on the Democratic race thus far, was he said, you know, what if a virus came and killed all of the, um, the Democratic candidates, leaving only one, a man, uh, a 75-year-old man who might be too old to actually uh, win the presidency? And he said, that's basically what's happened and the virus is Twitter. Yeah. And you really saw that, especially with Kamala Harris and yeah. with Elizabeth Warren, where they ran, you know, their strategy was they looked at the, the 2016 race and they said, OK, well, it was Clinton versus Sanders. What I want to do is, is be the straddle candidate. Right. right? I want to right. pull from both of those, be the middle candidate that everyone can kind of at least grudgingly agree on. Um, the problem was they really misinterpreted what Sanders' appeal had been. And so mm. they really ran hard to the left on identity politics issues. Yes. And you really see this with, with Elizabeth Warren still. You know, she, she got up at one point and said um, – she told a, a young boy, uh, a young trans boy, that she would uh, allow him to pick her secretary of education. I believe it was a boy. It might have been a trans girl. I didn't follow that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's a, it's a very yeah. odd thing for someone to do. Yeah. Um, you know, Kamala Harris and her both ran really hard on Medicare for All, which turns out to actually not be very popular outside of Bernie's core base. Right. And Bernie's base is loyal to him. That's right. They're and, part of it. Yes. And so they really like Medicare for All. But the problem was they didn't leave him. And no one else, everyone looked at the price tags. Um, they looked at people at Warren and Harris forthrightly saying, yes, I would cancel your health insurance. Although then Harris kept, she would walk it back. She was, she was like doing the hokey pokey, right? If you're you're in, you're out. you please everybody, yes. you please nobody. You please and nobody. You yeah. And I think that that was a big part of it was that, that no one really understood what the electorate wanted to hear except Bernie Sanders. And the problem is that Bernie Sanders only understands what a very narrow slice Small of the electorate slice. wants to hear. Yeah, so fascinating. If you're just joining us, we have Megan McArdle, syndicated columnist from the Washington Post in studio uh, today. Uh, I wanted to get to one of your recent columns because you you raised you t- you talked about it in terms of the uh, what was going on with the coronavirus uh, and you know whether the president's responding well or not and whether it plays out well or not. Uh, but you raised a really important thing. I think we all should be thinking about before casting a ballot. And your question was. Is this somebody who could handle that kind of, of crisis? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I look at is you look at someone like George Bush, right? He ran as a compassionate conservative, and yeah. that was going to be his big agenda. And then he comes in, and his agenda is 9-11. He's the president of 9-11, of the Iraq War, and of Katrina, none of which was – no one said, Nothing on the how ballot. are you going to be at Hurricane <laughs> Relief, right? No one said, how are you going to deal with the worst terrorist attack on American soil? Similarly, even Barack Obama, you know, he, he – ends up in, in October, November, running on the financial crisis. Right. In fact, he spent most of his campaign running on health care. Right. And then the financial crisis just happened. <laughs> um, and so you have to remember that the president, whatever you, you think they're going to do, first of all, things like Medicare for all, Bernie Sanders, actually, um, he's not going to be able to get that through Congress. Right, right. <laughs> but second of all, even beyond that stuff, is he's going to be overtaken by events. And so what you want to think about is not necessarily the specific policies as much as, is this someone whose character I trust? Is this someone who, if they were in the Oval Office right now, would I feel reassured? Would I feel like here's someone who can be level-headed, who can manage a bureaucracy, who can get them all moving in the same direction, who can react quickly to a novel threat without overreacting? Um, And those are all, you know, Harder qualities to judge, but I think they end up ultimately being more important for a president than what the the big de- the 
sort of tiny details of their health care plan is. Yeah, exactly. That's such a, a great point. So many great questions for all of us to, to be thinking about. Uh, we've got just a little bit of time left, Megan, so I, want, I wanted to come back. You came to Utah in 2016. I did. <laughs> trying to figure out what in the world is going on in Utah, not really supporting uh, Trump as a candidate, not really supporting Hillary Clinton, uh, and really focused on kind of the civil society yeah. uh, component. What have you learned from Utah? What could the Democrats running for office and those in Washington learn from what's going on here in the city of Utah? You know, I think the, the heartening thing for me about Utah, uh, and then I did a follow-up piece on Denmark, which has a lot of the same qualities, yeah. which is this quality of actually, in the end, feeling like we are all in this together. Mm. And while we may have big disagreements, we may get angry at each other, families do, right? <laughs> um, but in the end of the day, Utah has found compromises on issues that seem completely intractable outside of Utah. And the the one I always cite when people ask about this is the compromise on gay rights, right? Yes, religious people have the right not to cater a gay wedding, um, but uh, LGBT people have the right to be able to get housing and not be discriminated against in employment. And that was was a completely reasonable compromise that was hammered out. Actually, I'm, I'm sure it felt contentious at the time, but compared to the way these things roll out in the rest of the country, just, yep, okay, that's reasonable. We can all do that. And, and you know, the right leaders got behind it. And that's something that America could learn uh, from, from Utah is the sense that in, at the end of the day, yes, we all have ideological uh, commitments. We have religious commitments. We have value, deep value um, differences. But at the end of the day, we, we do also have to find ways to, to make space for everyone to live together in, in reasonable harmony. And that's something that Utah is still trying to do. They're still being pragmatic about problems rather than didactic. Yeah. And I think that's really healthy, and I really wish that more of America were like that. Yeah, fantastic. Megan McArdle, our favorite uh, Washington Post syndicated columnist, thanks for coming in studio today. One of the great writers in our country, which means she's also one of the great thinkers in our country. <laughs> Megan, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm going to go blush now. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to step aside when we come back final segment and uh, it's learning day it's reading day it's dr seuss day Uh, we'll talk about it when we come back right here on ksl news radio